You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You know, I love evaluating. I love recruiting. I think it's kind of the, the competition in the offseason. Uh, and certainly, although we've been going at it here for just a few days, it's been a lot of fun with this junk man and this uh, gator on my shirt. Sign up with my bookie and use our promo code Gators to get your first ever deposit match dollar for dollar. Bet anything, anywhere, anytime with my bookie. Want more Gators Breakdown? Join Gators Breakdown Plus. Starting at $3 a month, get access to unique episodes, plus a blog, chat room, giveaways, shout-outs, and more. Gators Breakdown Plus is furthering the interaction with fans and listeners like you. Head to gatorsbreakdown.supportingcast.fm to join Gators Breakdown Plus today. Gators Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gators Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Joining me here on this early National Signing Day review episode, of course, is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at ReadAndReaction.com. On YouTube at ReadAndReaction.com. Will, we heard before we even got on live right here, Billy Napier uh, walking in the living rooms, talking to recruits, talking to parents with the Gator logo, the Jumpman logo on his chest. Made a bit of a splash here on National Signing Day. I tell you what, man, my kids don't need to get me anything for Christmas because Billy (laughs) Napier got me all the gifts I need on early signing day. So uh, it it was a fun day, right? It's been a long time since Florida has had a day like this. I mean, I kind of think back to National Signing Day in 2018, the transition class for Dan Mullen, where Emory Jones decided to commit to Florida, or at least maybe he decided to commit before that. And there were a couple of guys that that came Florida's way. And really that first transition class, I thought Dan Mullen did a pretty good job. Um, It was sort of from then on that that the recruiting sort of leveled out. And I think that's sort of the the overall message for today is that this is an excellent start. We can see the foundation. We might even have a little bit more news coming up later tonight. Um, hopefully we'll see. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, based on where the class was when Napier took over, I mean, I think it was like 45th or 46th, depending upon what ranking you're using. Um, yeah. It was somewhere in that range. And you're basically right back up to where you were before then, but these are guys that he's clearly scouted, clearly decided to get to buy into the program. And, uh, you know, apparently they were willing to send him their film when he asked for it there a couple of weeks ago when he took over the job. Yeah, so, of course, you know, a, a lot of this is the, the the highlights of the class, and we'll get into everybody who joined in the class today. Kamari Wilson, of course, 
the one of the big names, Shamar James, uh, Chris McClellan, reaffirming his commitment, Devin Moore, started the day off so well for the Gators. Uh, you know, granted, you know, we know where if you want to look at class rankings uh, right now, not where Florida usually is or where, you know, where Florida it will be when it's all said and done in February. We have to keep that in mind, too. This is a, a start uh, for, for Billy Napier, as, as Will Miles said, you know, even – some fault of his own, where the and you can agree with him or not agree with him, but you know there were some deflections in the class, made its way back up with some big time commitments today. Uh, that there, so we'll get into it, will. But you know that's a big storyline, of course. When you want to look at rankings, and we'll go to you know we partnered up here uh, with On Three this week, Gators Breakdown did, but we have to use some of the other services for an historical look as well, since On Three, uh, of course, is, is just starting out. But you know most of the episode will be based recruiting rankings will be based on, on what On Three uh, is bringing to the table. Good work there by those guys. You heard Corey Bender on. Uh, earlier this week uh, here. So, uh, of course, we want to look at, uh, you know, the, the rankings there. Florida checks in at 30th, but, Will, as you said, you know, you, you had to kind of keep throughout the day where Florida would be 70th or 60th, 50th, uh, and now uh, with nine letter of intent signed for the Gators, they rank 30th in on threes ranking. Look, only 13th in the SEC, class score of 86, 87.64, but as we said, only nine early enrollees right now. Still plenty of time for Florida to move up. And we'll see uh, where, you know, some more big names there I think Florida will go into. We'll get into that as well. But nine signees, an average not so bad uh, when, when you look at it. But we'll, it's understandable <laughs> where Florida's at right now. Would we love for Florida to have 2022 guys right now? Sure, absolutely. And we'll get into what some of Billy Napier had to say about the approach and, and you know, some of the difficulties they faced with a very, very, very limited staff on the road, basically only been recruiting for a week. Honestly, Will, coming into the day, the way it played out, I, this is – did Florida miss on a couple guys today? Of course, Julian Humphrey comes to mind. But if you poll Gator Nation right now and say, all right, this is the finish you will get, I guarantee you 95% of them would, would have taken it. I mean, I'm one of them. I would have taken everything. It's not just the fact that they got guys to flip. It's not just that they got guys who were wanted by Alabama and Georgia, though that's a big part of it, right? Is is that's I'm good. sure there'll be some spin from those schools up north, but at the end of the day, um, especially well, before when it comes you go to- further with that, I've talked to some Georgia people. They're they're not happy. I mean, and, and granted, they have a good class, and but you know, the, they missed on some guys that, that they wanted, and hopefully this is the beginning of that trend. Well, judging by what happened in the SEC championship game, they could use a composite five-star safety back there to help out and, and, and help help fortify, the, help fortify that defense. That That's the place where clearly Alabama was able to take advantage of. So not only was it a place of need, but um, it was a place where you would expect somebody like Wilson to say, hey, I might be able to come in and, and make a difference there. Now, obviously, you can say the same thing at Florida. And, and I think this suggests, you know, during the press conference, Napier was talking about sort of hitting it off with Wilson Wilson right off the start and that Wilson was basically like, Hey, you need to meet my mother. Like right after they started talking to each other. So I'm sure he had a great feeling about where that was headed, you know, and, and then you've got the IMG component as well, right? That, that now teammates of Kamari Wilson are going to be coming to Gainesville to watch their buddy play. And clearly Napier has done some stuff at IMG that other Florida coaches haven't been able to do, whether yeah. it's, whether it's Jim McElwain or, or Dan Mullen, 
And the IMG curse, I think, is a little bit overrated in some capacity because not all the guys who are at IMG are from Florida. But this is a guy who's from Fort Pierce, who's from Florida, who should grow up wanting to be a Gator. And Billy Napier comes in in a couple of weeks, is able to convince him to do that. I think, you know, those are the types of things that you look at and say from us from just a pure sales perspective, you look at it and go that's that's a pretty good sales job now obviously you gotta you gotta put that together you gotta complete this class but even if basically the class is filled with three-star guys from here on out i think they're they've got the level of talent here that they can probably get two or three all sec guys over the course of their career in this class filling it out with a few more guys in the 300 to 500 range and you're going to end up with basically exactly what Nick Saban had in his first year or what Kirby Smart had in his first recruiting class or what Gene Chizik had in his first recruiting class. And historically, that this transition class is just sort of a supplement to what you're going to do in the next one. And that's really where Alabama established itself with guys like Courtney Upshaw, Mark Barron, and Mark Ingram. That was their bump class, their second class. In the transition class, there were Rolando McLean and Will Vlachos, but there weren't a ton of all-SEC talent. It was more depth, getting people who were going to buy in, those sorts of things. And I think I think you can see that there's the template for a couple of these guys to be all-SEC players at some point in the future. You got three top 100 guys who, who signed today, and then – all of the guys that they brought in that they know from the time that they were at Louisiana, guys like David Connor, Christian Williams, um, and and those sorts of guys, I think the the relationship, especially at that level, makes a difference. So, look, there's still a long way to go, right? I mean, when you, when you start looking at the recruiting rankings in the SEC, one, you already mentioned Florida's still 13th, which, you know, thankfully we're not behind Vanderbilt anymore. Woo! And then, <laughs> and then you look at the top, you know, in the past, over the past three years, the SEC has occupied three of the top four slots. And typically right around the fourth slot in the conference is where winning percentage starts to drop off. So you kind of want to look at those first three teams in the conference. So in the ACC, you can recruit like 12th, 13th, 14th. You're still the second or third best team in the conference from a recruiting perspective. In the SEC, you have to be fourth. But this year, you actually have to be third because A&M is in first, Alabama is second, Georgia's third. Depending on which ranking you're using, those are sort of interchangeable. But all the five stars, pretty much. I mean, so 24-7 has 12 of the five stars going to those three schools, A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. And so there's still a lot of work to do. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm thrilled by the guys they brought in. I think Napier's done an unbelievable job, especially sort of under-promising and over-delivering, right? He comes in, yeah, he preaches patience, he says, we may not sign all that many people. And then he and his staff put together a plan to target high-level top 100 guys that they think can be difference makers. And to bring those guys in, I think, is a uh, is a significant thing for the program. It gives a jolt in the arm. And recruiting is all about hope. And I walk out of today with a lot of hope that Billy Napier is the right guy for the Florida Gators and to turn this team around and to be competing in a year or two on the recruiting trail with Texas A&M, Alabama, and Georgia. And, you know, two, two, three days ago, we would have been like, I don't know that early signing day is going to tell us that. And now early signing day has given us a lot of hope that, uh, that, that this, that the ship is turned in the right direction when it comes to the recruiting. And uh, that's what you're going to need to win in the SEC. So it's great to see. Yeah. Well, it feels like there's a foundation for some hope, a foundation for, you know, targeting top athletes and actually getting them going head to head with Alabama and Georgia and getting a couple guys. So, yeah, we want to see see this in an extended uh, extended role, an extended plan, an extended time uh, for, for what we're going to see these next few weeks, uh, of course, as well. As you mentioned, Will, you kind of teased it there, but Julian Armella, uh, offensive lineman there, looked like an FSU 
<laughs> commit at one time. And what a crazy day for the Seminoles. Nobody's committing to FSU today. <laughs> but uh, so, well, you know, that's in play too. Uh, we're recording this 845 ish right now on, on uh, Wednesday night. Hopefully, by the time we sign off, there will be some good news as far as that goes for, for, for Florida. So maybe. Hopefully, Florida's not done uh, when we take a look at all this uh, on, on signing day here. But, um, yeah, a lot going on right now, a lot to get into. Uh, but, yeah, I, it's, uh, it, it, I, I'm just hoping it's not done, but, Will, as you said. But, there, look, we're only talking about Julian Armella. First of all, he posted the picture with a gator hat on the table. But with what we saw today, there is some hope that it could actually happen. We're not, we're not, we're not you know, putting our, uh, putting our hands away. We're not – okay, never mind. We're just a hat on the table – He's just doing that because he likes somebody. No, we honestly, and from what I've heard, there is a legit shot for Florida right now in this recruitment. So we'll see where that goes as well. But talk about legit shots. We'll be coming into the day not knowing what a lot of big targets we're going to do. Even a commit, you know, Chris McClellan, we found out pretty much at the end of Tuesday evening that more than likely he was going to stick with Florida, but still, it's still something you worry about when him visiting Oklahoma this past week. Nick Evers goes there, commits to Oklahoma uh, as well, and, and Gibson, the raw receiver that was a former commit for Florida, goes to Oklahoma, commits to Oklahoma as well. So you're okay. Well, he was with some friends uh, that were committed with him at Florida, so maybe that storyline flips on signing day. But no, you didn't lose any of your commits on signing day. So one 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 feather in your cap there. Uh, yeah, don't get me wrong. Yes, we know we lost some throughout the last week or so. So, yeah, that plays into it, uh, plays into why you had to make up a whole lot of ground today. But coming into the day, coming into signing day, didn't lose commits, went out, got most of the big targets that you were in for. And, Will, as you said, with the way it played out, there is some hope. There is some hope that Florida has a recruiter at the head coaching position and a limited staff that can help that help get the job done. We'll get into that later on as well uh, as we move forward away from this signing day and toward the next seven weeks looking for a February signing day. But uh, we'll let's take a, um, uh, you know, a listen to you know, Billy Napier. He was asked about his approach, uh, his approach for this early signing period and how he was going uh, to, to, to pretty much uh, attack this time. I think that these are tough situations to walk into, right? I mean, I think um, – and they affect lots of people, right? I mean, these are young men and their families. Um, they've been through a very difficult experience, right? So, um, you know, these – they're hard, right? These are hard decisions and certainly in a short amount of time. So, um, very respectful of all these decisions, right? I mean, I, I, I can't be critical of any of these decisions. So – you know, we've got a very specific um, evaluation process, and we certainly applied that uh, to the committed players and a, and a lot of players, right, I think in a very short amount of time. So, um, you know, we've got a, a, a very detailed plan and approach. You know, we applied the things that we've learned in our uh, careers, and some of the young men fit what we uh, visualize for, you know, Florida Gator football. Uh, some maybe decided they didn't want to be a part of that. Um, maybe we needed a, a little bit more time to make a decision and evaluate the situation in some of these circumstances. Uh, but in general, I think each one of these is an individual situation. Uh, we, we respect all of them. So, um, you know, it's just part of the transition period, right? There's no easy way around it. And um, we're thankful for the young people that chose Florida today for sure. Thankful, Will, for the, the the guys that chose Florida today for sure. It looks like those visits 
from this past weekend helped pay off, help pave the way for some of these uh, some of these commits. The Zoom meeting with Jamar James looks like it paid off. The, the late Zoom meeting on, on Tuesday uh, on Tuesday evening, uh, getting Chris McClellan while he visited Oklahoma to come visit Florida on Sunday for one more last go around at the University of Florida. The new staff was able to sell him. Look, he said it was tough. It's tough in the transition period, but given that, given how tough it is, as we said, you have to like where Florida came out of that tough situation. Yeah, I mean, so there's a few things there. One is that you've got the top four recruits in this class thus far all on the defensive side of the ball. So all of the people who were concerned about Patrick Toney coming from Louisiana and that being sort of a repeat (laughs) of Bullen bringing uh, Todd Grantham from Mississippi State. I'm not sure Todd Grantham ever had four guys while he was at Florida of of this pedigree. I may be wrong, but uh, certainly not in in the transition class that was much more of an an offensive-heavy um, top 100 guys, guys like Jacob Copeland and Emory Jones and Justin Watkins in that first year where Mullen was selling offense. Now, obviously, Florida needed to sell offense after the Jim McElwain and, and Doug Nussmeyer eras, so that made a difference. But the other thing I think is really interesting. Well, before, before you move on from Tony, and not you know the big home run, big name hire either. You know, It looks like you, know, you were able to sell these big-time recruits, not only for Tony and, um, you, you know, just – comparing it to, to to just trying to fix a defense. But, you know, from when Billy Napier's hired, it's who is he going, who is he going to hire? Who's he going to hire? This is a co-defensive coordinator, maybe not even the main defensive coordinator, on staff, making connections here, and being able – and as you said, coming from Louisiana, you know, there, there wasn't the whole big spotlight name here, but didn't seem to hurt a lot of these big targets. Uh, I think what we're really starting to find here, I mean, why does Nick Saban's machine always recruit really, really well, even when even when assistant coaches sort of shuffle in and shuffle out? It's because Nick Saban's a really good recruiter. And yeah. so when you've got that guy to sort of build the trust and you say, and he says, look, I vouch for this assistant that I brought in, trust me, then the recruits trust him. And I think what we're finding, and I, I, I was struck by the way Napier actually started his press conference today by thanking people yes. who set up the schedules, who set up the official visits, people that you'll never hear about and certainly have never heard about before when in, in former Florida coaches' press conferences on signing day, right? There's usually yeah. a lot of talk of the players. There's a lot of talk of the coaches. There's not a lot of talk about support staff and the people who are licking envelopes and the people who are setting up the gift bags and all that sort of stuff. Napier thanked the pilots on the UAA aircraft, right? <laughs> well, so I, I, gave, I gave him a shout-out for the shout-outs because, that, like you said, it was awesome. Even my, even my good buddy Kevin Camps, you know, the graphic creative director there for Florida, Gets, gets a shout out and I'm like man that's that's awesome to hear as you said these people who you know we hear their names we see them on social media but for the head coach of University of Florida to come out and thank them awesome to see well look man I mean you walk into a place where you're looking for a new job right and you interview and everybody's miserable and and nobody likes each other they're not talking to each other you go I don't want to be anywhere near here and and what that sort of indicates to me is that Napier when he says you know one day at a time one person at a time he's not just talking about Kamari Wilson he's talking about Kevin Camps and that sets up a culture that then is attractive to people to come in because everybody that you bring in from Louisiana knows that Billy Napier is the real deal assuming that that this is who he really is right and so a guy like Kamari Wilson comes in and says wow like this is different you don't 
need different facilities. You don't need now NIL helps obviously, but you don't, if you're differentiated from a culture perspective, then you don't need all the other stuff. And I think when it really comes down to it, yeah, I think Patrick Tony is somebody who's, I think we're going to end up looking back two, three years from now and saying, this guy's a really good recruiter and a really good coach at the same time. At the end of the day, these recruits aren't buying Patrick Tony. They're not really even buying Corey Raymond. They're buying Billy Napier. And the the what he proved today is that Billy Napier can sell a little bit. Now, you know, is he going to be able to sell at the Kirby Smart level and at the Nick Saban level? That's still to be determined. But, you know, you start thinking about the foundation like you talked about. And one of the foundations is just proving that you're a salesman. And, and the thing that you let off the show with where he's talking about, you know, that recruiting is competition in the offseason. And that he loves it because it's competition that he wants to, you know, with Mullen, he was out there talking about what a competitor he was all the time, but you didn't see the results. And today we've got somebody talking about this being competition, how they love recruiting and and you're starting to see some results. So again, I mean, I think, I think it's one of those things where cautiously optimistic in terms of where things are headed. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the interesting things is, is, and I think this is probably the most impressive thing of the day is that, Devin Moore had to know Kamari Wilson was coming and they're both safeties. They're both similarly sized. Moore's a little bit taller, but he had to know Kamari Wilson was coming. He decided to jump. He decided to jump in anyway. And yeah, we're going to need more than one safety and yeah, we're going to need depth and all that sort of stuff. But when you think about the quality of people that Napier is trying to bring in people who want to compete, who aren't afraid of competition, you know, Devin Moore's going to have to compete with Kamari Wilson and even though those guys know the other ones are coming, they say, hey, I'm going to come to Florida because I'm buying into what, you, what you're what you building here. I think having multiple guys in that, in that five- and four-star tier from the same position, having them commit, says something about both the ability of the coaching staff to sell and then also um, sort of the ability to, to make people come and compete. And that's always been a hallmark for Alabama, right, is when you, when you ask a guy like uh, a guy like Mac Jones why he spends three years at Alabama before he gets an opportunity to start, he says, look, if I come to Alabama and I win the job, I know I'm the best. And, you know, those are the kinds of people that I think you want, and those are the kinds of people that Napier's going after. Good stuff. So type of people he's going after, Will, hey, let's get into it. Nine names, nine guys, nine recruits, nine signees right here to get into uh, for the University of Florida. Let's start right here. We're good friends at On3 helping us out here. Kamari Wilson. Man, I tell you what, it was a big, big pickup for the Gators. Transferred to IMG in 2020. From Port, from Fort Pierce Westwood High School, Max Preps Junior All American second team selection, played varsity basketball, completed in track and field as a freshman and sophomore as well. Invited to the 2022 Under Under Armour All American game and signed with Florida over Georgia, Alabama, LSU, among others. Uh, on three has this scouting report: physically developed, high energy safety who excels as a covered down defender has a muscular, filled-out frame, is a highly emotional and physical tone setter for the IMG defense, solid and instinctual in coverage with a penchant for undercutting routes. He is at his best when moving forward to defend the run or quick passing game, lacks uh, verified straight-line speed, but otherwise tests as a solid-to-good athlete at defensive back. Will is like we're getting physical uh, secondary player here, somebody who's not afraid to hit, somebody who's not afraid to go out there and, and lay the lick, whether it be in the run or a quick passing game uh, there. So Kamari Wilson, 
uh, you know, the highest rated player uh, for Florida for, for, for own three uh, coming from own three right now. And I tell you what, well, I mean, this was the, the, the storyline uh, with this one. You just didn't, this was the one, it was the biggest question uh, coming into today uh, is whether Kamari Wilson would go to Georgia or whether he would go to Florida, visited Florida this past weekend. Jamar Chaney, big time, huge contributor here from that Fort Pierce area as well. Kamari Wilson thanks him as a mentor. And in the end, look, that, that, played a factor also nil the gator collective play a role here too kamari wilson was very 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 interested in what florida had at its disposal had options for nil that played a, a role here in kamari wilson as well so will you're looking at right now florida's highest rated commit right now kamari wilson yeah man what i heard was tackling right like you you, you listed <laughs> a lot of different qualities for mr wilson there and the one that i heard was tackling because those have been some you know that the tackling has been something that that florida struggled with both at the corner and at the safety position over the last couple of years certainly the lsu game this year needing somebody who's going to come downhill and be physical and and close off those holes when when lsu decides to run a counter is is a big deal for florida to add somebody at that level um i, I think there's there's a few things though beyond that right and Dan Mullen's getting been getting stuffed in a locker by Kirby Smart for the last three or four years. When Smart's wanted a guy, um, he's gotten the guy, and he's been able to come into the state. Now, this doesn't end that, but it does start to say that the narrative is not going to be that every time, right? That you get a guy like Wilson, who's the ninth or tenth ranked guy in the state, um, actually I guess sixth there at, at on three in the state, and to go to get a top ten guy in the state of Florida, keep him here. Um, I, I think that's a big deal, right? It's the start of something. So you hope it's the start of something big, but it's the start of something from the standpoint of we're not going to let Kirby Smart come down and bring somebody out of Fort Pierce. Um, and just from a narrative perspective, I think it helps as well. So, you know, hey, we got a guy who can tackle. We got a guy. Hey, I, the other thing is he's not a tweener, right? So it felt like under Todd Grantham, they brought in a lot of guys that they wanted to cross train. And I don't think there's going to be cross-training in here by Napier. I think this kid, this kid's a safety. They're going to put him at safety. They're going to let him play safety. You don't bring in a guy who's 203 pounds and put him at corner. So, um, you know, the, the fact that they've got a guy who's going to be a safety, they're going to put him out there and say, you play safety is, is a different approach than the way the previous administration was recruiting, where they got a lot of guys that they wanted to be able to play some linebacker and some safety or some safety and some corner um, or some corner and some star. That's not going to be the case in this particular case. Is I think it's pretty clear that Kamari Wilson is going to be a safety and and hopefully going to be a good one. Yeah, well, so of course, you know, going here using on threes rankings, of course, uh, probably should. Uh, you know, I saw some people talking in the chat about it. This is the on three consensus, so they take their own rankings, they take the twenty four seven sports rankings, and not the twenty four seven sports composite. Uh, the composite does have. Uh, Kamari as a five star, but 247's own rankings have him as a four star as well. Uh, but on three has him as a four star, 247 Sports has him as a four star, ESPN has him as a five star, Rival has, Rivals has him as a four star, all making that an on three consensus of four star. But I mean, come on, 36 great player in the country. I mean, that's splitting hairs, uh, right there. But that's how uh, on three and their consensus does it. They bring together all those services kind of like the 24 seven sports composite, but their own three adds their own and puts one more step in there uh, as well. So that's where those numbers uh, are coming from. So, all right, next biggest name, of course, uh, Shamar James. Uh, but before uh, we get there, everybody, we know you're trying to cash in on the next best crypto. 
But if you want a guaranteed way to double your money, all you need to do is use promo code Gators at MyBookie. It's simple. Sign up at MyBookie with promo code Gators, and your first deposit is immediately doubled all the way up to $1,000. How about that quick? How about that for a quick turnaround? With the NFL playoff race heating up, college bowl season just around the corner, double your firepower at MyBookie to get in on the action for the most important games of the season. Build your own props, create multi-game parlays, take part in a host of MyBookie cash prizes. This is the best time of the year to watch and bet on sports because you've done all the research already. You know who the winners are going to be. Don't miss out. Double your first deposit by using promo code GATORS. Keep your eyes peeled for more exclusive holiday promotions coming at you soon from MyBookie.ag. Bet on anything, anywhere, anytime at MyBookie. I will start now. Shamar James, former Gator commit, gets back in the fold for the Gators. Big time, big time. I mean, way to, way to get back in this uh, for, for, for the Gators. Uh, Christian Robinson, you're more than likely not going to be part of the staff. He had a big connection to him. Do it all. Two-way player at the high school level who projects as a linebacker long-term, of course. Plays linebacker as a receiver for his high school, so you can tell he's fluid. He's athletic. Uh, sudden change of direction at the linebacker position. Look, we've been wanting true linebackers for the University of Florida. Here is that. Well, you talked about the winners. You talked about guys not fitting. Here we go. We got a guy who fits at linebacker. Finishes with authority and violence behind the line of scrimmage, uh, says on three. High-end ball skills uh, due to uh, his background as a wide receiver. Uh, more than capable of winning battles in the air through contact. Shows some instincts and coverage. Has the athleticism to drop into space. Has the look of a highly co- coordinated athlete, which shows up by way of his playmaking ability on offense. Not overly large frame and dimensions perspective, but added mass between his junior and senior seasons. Young for the cycle, won't turn 18 till he's enrolled in college. All that comes from Charles Power of On3, director of scouting. And I know Florida updated his weight as well uh, coming up uh, you know, uh, uh, for you know, their, um, their uh, official measurements for, for, for these players uh, there. So I'm trying to scroll over. It's not uh, – not cooperating with me, Will, but um, I know I think he's up to 210 now is what I saw. Yeah, 210 there. I know that graphic there uh, is a little bit behind as far as his weight goes. So he has packed on the weight there from what the recruiting services have. But here we go. Very much a true linebacker for the Gators. Well, again, I heard tackling. That was one of the things <laughs> that I heard there. It seems seems to be a theme, and it is a theme that I like, right? That they're again, you mentioned the tweener aspect of it. This is a true linebacker. We're not gonna be trying to turn an edge rusher or a buck into a linebacker because we have 17 bucks that we've recruited. Um, the, those sorts of things, right? Linebacker is definitely a position of need, has been a position of need at Florida for a while, particularly with the Abate now going into the transfer portal. If he decides to go someplace else, there's gonna be an opportunity opportunity for Shamar James to play pretty quick and uh you know again I think this is somebody who wanted to be a Gator obviously he'd been been committed to Florida and then decided to uh decided to explore other options when the firing of Dan Mullen happened and then the hiring of Billy Napier but uh you know to get him back into the fold again I think is is um you know you, you never have I think this sort of happened with I want to say uh, uh 
Jacob Copeland the in the transition class between um, Jim McElwain and Dan Mullen is Copeland was a commit. He decommitted and then recommitted back to Dan Mullen. That's kind of what this feels like in some capacity, though obviously because of the early signing day, <laughs> Napier only had like 10 days, whereas Mullen had two or three months before that February signing day. So uh, James, James, a big deal, right? Top 100 linebacker. Um, you know, you, you think about the talent that we see from guys like Tyron Hopper and, and those sorts of guys. Um, this is sort of the same general area in terms of where they where he stands nationally. Um, but at 210, he's going to be a guy who can probably hold up in the middle in a couple of years. And so that's exciting, too, to have a guy who maybe can be that three down linebacker that Florida just hasn't had really f- since. I mean, David Reese did it a little bit, but in passing situations could get taken advantage of. So I'm thinking. You know, guys like Brandon Seiler, Brandon or um, and Brandon Spikes, those sorts of guys who were able to be three down linebackers at Florida. Um, Antonio Morrison's another one who comes to mind. So if James can be that sort of force, um, then certainly he'd be a great pickup. Yeah, and like I said, I, I like the receiver background. That probably helps there. You know, very fluid, can run. Uh, that helps you keep up and pass coverage as well from the linebacker position, as you said there. So very good pickup there uh, for the Gators and Will. Those first two, man, Kamari Wilson. Shamar James, you went and beat Georgia for those guys. Those, don't let any Georgia fan tell you or anything like that that they didn't want these guys that are going to shy away. No. You know, Florida, Billy Napier, in just about a week on the job, a week recruiting on the trail, went and beat Georgia for Wilson and James. So big time. So what we want to see more of. And that's you know part of the uh, reason a, a change was made here at the University of Florida. You got to close that gap to those big schools. And how else do you do it by beating them head-to-head uh, for a couple guys. So hopefully we see that more uh, in the future here. But Wilson James are the best example so far in Billy Napier's early tenure as Florida head coach to go head-to-head versus Georgia and go get two wins right there. So uh, I mentioned kind of the story of uh, Chris McClellan. Uh, he's the third highest ranked prospect here uh, for the Gators in this class so far, selected to the 2022 All-American Bowl game. Charles Powell from on three once again. Long, versatile defender who lines up some on the edge but projects as a defensive lineman long term. Measured with an 81-inch wingspan prior to his senior season. A flexible mover who shows some bend as a pass rusher. Has some advanced pass rush ability at his size. Shows the ability to anchor, get off blocks as a run defender. Has solid quickness. Does not register as an overly explosive athlete in the combine setting. That is from Charles Power, own three director of scouting and rankings. Well, we know the the the, the help Florida needs on the along the defensive line. You had to hit the transfer portal very heavy last cycle. Probably going to have to do it again coming up. Would we love Chris McClellan to come in as a true freshman and go make an impact? Sure, but that very rarely happens as a defensive defensive tackle. I mean, Gervin Dexter, uh, of course, you know thrust into it because he had to be uh, last year as a true freshman. Had a good season. We saw him build on that uh, for his second season this past year. But you don't want to have to rely on true freshmen coming in and making an impact defensive line. You want to see this guy grow. You want to see this guy develop. And here we go. I mean, without even really a dedicated defensive line coach right now, Will commits to the Gators and signs with the Gators. Well, and he, he had even – he committed the – I was on stage getting questions as to why somebody would recruit or why someone would commit to Florida when uh, <laughs> when there isn't a head coach because I was, I was talking at the Gainesville Quarterback Club when McClellan originally committed and, and Florida didn't have a coach at the time, though I'm sure that they had sort of communicated who they were going after because they were in heavy talks with Billy Napier at that point. But, um, look, I mean, we – 
all of us know that Florida needs help on the defensive line. And it's interesting. You mentioned the transfers last year. Uh, it's been that way for four years. I mean, they went and got, got uh, Adam Schuler. Um, as, as a transfer initially on, on the defensive line. And it was okay. That's, that's all right to have those defensive linemen that you bring in initially. The problem is, is that they never then backfilled that from, from a recruiting perspective with guys like McClellan. So, you know, next year you're going to need guys like Desmond Watson and Justice Boone from the 2021 class to really step in. You're not going to be able to rely on McClellan extensively sitting next to Gravon Dexter, nor would you really want to, right? I mean, and Mm -hmm. you go and you look back at the 2020 class, obviously you had Dexter in that class as well, but there were other guys up front who, who were brought in in that class too. Guys like Lamar Goods and Jalen Lee, um, who were brought in at defensive tackle. And those guys, um, in particular, you started to see uh, Lee, I think, getting a little bit more playing time towards the end of the year, particularly against Florida State. So, um, you know, that's the deal, is that what Napier's going to have to do in 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 2022 out on the field is he's going to have to use the guys who are already here and bring in some people from the transfer portal. But replacing those guys is what Chris McClellan is going to do in a year or two, right? So he's going to get his feet wet next year, probably plays four games, maybe a red shirt, and maybe he turns out to be a stud and you can let him play all year long. But, you know, a guy like Dexter is going to be a really, really good player in the SEC next year. And even him with his profile coming as a five-star guy was sort of flashy in his true freshman year. So I think it's a lot, especially at the defensive line in the SEC, to expect somebody to be an immediate contributor. But as far as filling the depth that's needed in a class like this, I think this is that's really critical, right? And you go and you look at that 2018 recruiting class and and where are the defensive linemen in that particular class? There really mm-hmm. aren't any, which is one of the reasons why Dante Xanders was playing defensive line right. in that game against Texas A&M in 2020. It's because they didn't have guys on the defensive line who either stayed long enough, guys like Malik Langham and and uh, and those guys sort of transferred out, and then they didn't have true defensive tackles. So in the first class to have a true defensive tackle when that's an area of need, I think it's a significant thing. All right, well, I'm also getting texts like crazy. Trevor, in, Trevor ETN uh, is, says, big news coming soon. Uh, we will get into that too, but that's uh, the, the latest out there. Hopefully, you know, we'll see – Big-time Gator target from the state of Louisiana at running back position. We'll see uh, whatever comes from that. Of course, Travis Etienne's uh, little brother there. So that that's yeah. coming out too. Uh, All right. So yeah. Billy Billy Napier is like starting to turn away my like recruiting PTSD. But if we get a <laughs> if we get a, if we get a blue chip running back prospect to commit, I don't know what's going on, man. I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to handle that. Yeah. So I mean, hopefully. Um, Looks like he's just dropping hints for right now, but it's, I think we have to kind of point that out why he is a uh, a target uh, for, for for the Gators. So uh, we, we'll see what happens there. But continue on before we move for, from uh, Chris McClellan here. Uh, yeah, top one, uh, the the one hundredth ranked prospect on uh, the on, on three consensus, the fifteenth ranked defensive lineman, and the third ranked prospect in the state of Oklahoma. And as I said, I have to bring up Oklahoma because you saw Nick Evers, you saw. Uh, Gibson commit to Oklahoma the last few days. He got close with those guys when they were all commits to the University of Florida. So that gave you some worry. The home state school getting some guys that you were committed to for Florida, but McClellan, as Will said, even committed to Florida without a head coach, just could just reaffirm his commitment and sign with Florida without a, without a designated defensive line coach. 
lets you know how much he likes the University of Florida. That's a, a great example there of just liking the orange and blue. And then Billy Napier also just kind of putting that final staple right there uh, and getting his signature today. Well, we started the day with some great news. Devin Moore, about 7.30 this morning, everybody's hopefully either you're on the way to work or you were drinking some coffee or, you know, getting through, but you knew this was coming and the Gator Nation uh, got uh, a pretty good start to the day with Devin Moore committing to Florida over Notre Dame. He's been invited to the 2022 All-American Bowl. He's been named an Adidas All-American as well. Uh, posted 24 tackles and five interceptions, including one pick six in his junior year. Uh, on three says physically gifted defensive back with outstanding stature to go, fluidity and athleticism. Looks to be legitimately taller than six foot two. Pairs that with long speed, running an 11-1 in 100 meters as a junior. Transfers that speed all over the field in a functional way. A coordinated, smooth mover in coverage. Plays quarterback for his high school. Could line up there or safety. Looks like a bigger wide receiver playing defensive back. Shows instincts and coverage. Closing quickly as a covered down defender and turning to make plays on the ball down the field. Hey, we'd like to see DBs do that. Uh, returned a few kicks for touchdowns as a senior. Hey, we like to see playmakers on special teams. Maybe we get him on special teams as well. And he also played wide receiver sparingly. Looks to have a high upside, says Charles Power. Uh, uh, Charles Power on three there. So good, good review there of Devin Moore. And one more. I mean, you got um, uh, a school that you're, you're fighting uh, that's in the college football playoff consistently. Yes, Notre Dame's going through their own coaching change as well. But Florida's going through a coaching change. As we know, Devin Moore had his pick between brand new head coaches and chooses Billy Napier. Yeah, I mean, you know, look, again, this is one of those where Notre Dame's a top 10 recruiting program. They've been playing very, very well on the field. Obviously, with Brian Kelly leaving, there's a, there's an opening and uh, and Billy Napier was able to exploit that opening. And And this, again, goes back to the same general principle that I said with with uh, with Wilson is that this this guy's from Naples. Right. I mean, he shouldn't be going to South Bend, Indiana. He should be going to Florida when it comes to, you know, from an educational perspective and from a football perspective, somebody from Naples should be going to Florida. All of his friends are going to be going to Florida. And so, you know, at, at the end of the day, I think this is this is actually a little bit broader of a circle than I thought maybe that Napier was going to be able to draw around Gainesville early. I sort of suspected he was going to be able to maybe get some guys from Lakeland or get some guys from Jacksonville to be able to go down to Naples and get somebody. Again, I already mentioned, you know, Wilson's a safety and now Moore's a safety. They're a little bit different type of player, obviously. He, he, he does seem like a little bit more like a tweener, right? Somebody who can play coverage. And maybe we've got our future strong safety and our future free safety here in the first four guys who, who signed with the program. But uh, um, to be able to go into Naples, convince somebody to come to Gainesville, um, when, they, when they clearly don't, distance isn't necessarily an issue, right? It's comfort with the coaching staff, fit, all those sorts of things. And so, uh, you know, hey, it, it looks like there was an opportunity and an opening. And when, with, when that opportunity came, when that opening came, uh, Billy Napier was able to take advantage. All right, Devin Moore right there, as you see, is the 186th ranked player on the on three consensus, the 13th ranked safety, according to the on three consensus as well. So basically top 200 player there. Uh, for the Gators from the state of Florida. So start the day off with that type of player and starting the day off with an in-state commit there for the Gators. 
Hey, let me add one thing there, Dave, which is that when you look at the when you look at the consensus that, like you mentioned, that's the mix of all the different ratings. But if you look at that actual on three rating, he's eighty mm-hmm. fourth. If you yeah. look at the twenty four seven sports rating, they have him two fifty first or two hundred fifty first in the actual overall um, rankings. And so, what this, I, I think, there actually is something to when coaches talk about evaluations and those sorts mm-hmm. of things. Um, when you start getting these sorts of splits, right? It's not that hard to look at a guy like Dalvin Cook and go, "Yeah, he's going to be good." <laughs> Right. The, the, the question then comes when you've got a guy like Devin Moore, how does he fit in your program? And do you rank him more like the 84th best player in the country or do you rank him more like the 250th best player in the country? And and this is one of those things, I think, where we're going to be able to look back and say, when Napier evaluates a player, these recruiting services had a tough time figuring out where Devin Moore fits. And so two or three years from now, I think this is a good test case to go back and look and say, all right, when when he talks about evaluating, what does he mean and was he successful? Because the recruiting services didn't really know what to make of Devin Moore. They know he's good, but they don't know how good. And the question is, does Napier know more than they do? All right, we talked about the trenches before there with Chris McClellan. Let's talk about trenches now. Jamari Lyons selected as the number one preseason player on Florida Today's 321 preps. Dandy Dozen recorded 91 total tackles, including 54 solo tackles and 11 tackles in his high school career. Led high school to uh, led his high school to third round of the Sunshine State 7A state playoffs. An interior defensive lineman with a very promising frame there, pass rush upside. Uh, when you look at him, he can play three, four, or the five technique. Will show some explosiveness off the ball. Great get off there. Uh, yeah, plays with a lot of force. Active hands. Pretty aggressive. Uh, maybe a little bit of finesse in his in his game. Well, six foot four, three hundred pounds almost athleticism, power. We already talked about filling the trenches. We already talked about how much Florida needs help up front. You get another guy uh, right here also in the state of Florida. Yeah, I like that he's got a longer wingspan. So he's got an 81-inch wingspan, which, you know, I I feel a little bit like – like the guys in the NBA when they're talking about wingspan during, during the draft, he takes shots um, when, when people mention wingspan. But that's important for an interior guy, right? Being able to get his arms on the guards and, and the center and push them back into the backfield. And We've talked a lot over the last year or two about Florida just not being able to get that push up front, not being able to get in the quarterback's face. And so that's the thing that sort of jumps out to me as a guy who's 300 pounds, six foot four, with an 81-inch wingspan, might be able to cause some issues up front there, pushing the guards in the center back into the quarterback and and letting all these corners and safeties we've been talking about talking about eat and jump some routes and take the ball the other direction all right well let's keep it going here tony livingston uh stayed committed with the gators visited this past weekend as well a lot of people were wondering about this one say if he'd uh, uh be part of this class a four-star here on the own three consensus as well first team all-state tight end selection in 2019 Played football at Carrollwood Day High School last season. Led them to the 2A state playoffs. Led Carrollwood to the district title region semifinals in basketball last year. Averaged 17.2 points per game and 8.6 rebounds in his junior season, Will. Yeah, I know this is a football podcast, but here, we're talking about a basketball player as well, Will. Let's you know how athletic Tony Livingston can be. Played in that tight end role. Florida did list him as a tight end. I think we should point that out because uh, it had been as a recruit and then even listed right here, um, uh, I believe I got to enlarge my screen here. Yeah, listed as an interior uh, offensive lineman. A lot, a lot of people thought he might go into a tackle, actually. So 
um, when you when, when you look at that for Tony Livingston uh, there. So I think uh, shed some weight. Uh, and I think when you look at what Florida put out today, as I said, they did list him as a tight end. And the updated, yeah, 225 now, uh, 6'4", 225. Uh, so that's what you're getting with Livingston. He is going to play tight end for the Gators. No, I don't think there's much talk about him uh, kind of transitioning to that offensive tackle role uh, any longer. Bill Napier was asked about him today. He said, yeah, you know, we list him as a tight end. That's where we want him to play. Uh, this little summary uh, here initially started as a high school, his high school football career as a jumbo wide receiver before quickly transitioning to tight end. Total over 900 receiving yards between his sophomore junior seasons. Billy Napier has said today his uh, 10th grade year was his best year. Uh, so uh, that came from the head coach himself. Livingston has shed a bunch of weight this year, looking more like a jumbo athlete slash tight end right now. We are here. We, you know, that seems to be the most likely position. Uh, and even Billy Napier saying so today. And but will you know, given this kind of run heavy offense that Billy Napier is going to that he has shown before, you know, the zone run blocking scheme, you know, getting a big body at tight end that you can just put him on that end line and have him as a blocker and then ask him to go out there and catch a pass, catch a um, no, no lack of a better term, jump pass. But, you know, just one of those throw him up and go get it with his basketball background. That's kind of what you're looking at. So, you know, these third and short conversions or goal line conversions or red zone uh, you know, conversions here. I think that's where Tony Livingston might could make a, a pretty good living for himself. Yeah, so Napier was very, very clear in the press conference that he he views Livingston as a developmental player. Yep. And so, again, I, I think this is one of those where this is a long play. This is getting a guy that you think is athletically gifted, who is from the Tampa area, so he should want to be a Gator, um, all those sorts of things, and bringing him in. Again, you, you mentioned a history at the wide receiver and then transitioning to tight end, but then also people thinking that he might be able to be an offensive, uh, either an offensive tackle or an offensive guard. You know, it's been a long time since Florida's had a road grader there at the tight end position. And one of the things that you can really take advantage of if you have a guy who can block at tight end, especially if he can be a catching threat too, is all the personnel groupings you can make the defense get into some bad situations. So it'll be interesting to see. I mean, right, not just the jump balls, but if he can develop into a guy who you can split wide, sort of like a Travis Kelsey or like a Kyle Pitts a couple years ago, um, that would be a really big deal for Florida. The, the issue with Pitts is that he was an adequate blocker. Um, but he really didn't have the frame for it. And we've seen that a little bit with the Falcons this year where he's pretty much a jumbo wide receiver when it comes to the Falcons in, in many mm -hmm. respects. But that's not what Livingston is likely going to be, right? I mean, he's going to be a guy, you know, you're not 225 as a, as a true freshman coming in and going to be a guy who, who splits out wide exclusively. So a little bit different type of player, but at the same time, you play basketball, it means you're going to be able to jump, it means you're athletic, and it means you probably got pretty soft hands. Right. I mean, you got to catch passes coming your way. I'm sure he's been working on ball handling his entire life, especially if you're if you're putting up 17 points per game. So um, it's exciting to have an athlete there out at tight end, somebody who might really be able to put the defense in some tough spots from a schematic perspective. And uh, we'll see what what happens as Livingston develops into the tight end that Napier and the staff believe he can be. Uh, we'll stay in the trenches, but we'll go to the other side of the ball, Will, and we'll co combo these, David Connor, Christian Williams, and we'll start with Connor right here. He led Deerfield Beach to the second round of the 8A FHSAA playoffs this season, helped the Bucks go undefeated 5-0 in league play this year. 
uh, from a good friend, Corey Bender. You heard him on Gators Breakdown earlier this week from Gators Online. And on three, he gave this thought of him. Is re- Connor is relatively new to the offensive side of the ball, only making the switch over to tackle just before his junior year. The first thing that jumps out when watching him play is his aggression and his physicality. You can thank his time along the defensive line for that. Connor's very raw prospect, having only played the position for about a year, but he possesses all the physical tools you look for in an offensive tackle. Currently measures six foot six, two hundred eighty-five pounds, with a big wingspan of about eighty-five inches. Prototypical size for a big-time tackle. Also moves very well for someone his size. As he likes to finish his blocks by driving opponents into the ground. Done a great job of putting work in there. Not an instant impact offensive lineman. Offensive lineman Corey says that that Florida desperately needs in this class. He does like him as a prospect for two to three years from now. Could become your starting left tackle after having some time to develop and work on his craft. And we'll go to Christian Williams as well. Will we, Corey and I discussed him uh, on, on the last episode of Gators Breakdown as he is before today, the Gators' most recent commit, a uh, commit to the Gators as he flipped from Louisiana last week. Uh, but if you go back and look at his tape a little bit, physical mean streak offensive lineman needs to get better in pass protection, but definitely will fit first, will fit in a great uh, run first offense. He can be an asset in, in, in the run game, then develop into that pass blocking. A uh, little summary Florida sent out about him. Helped felt Fort Ben Marshall to a 10 and 1 record and a Texas 5A D2 first round playoff appearance this past season. Led Fort Ben Marshall to a 12 and 1 uh, record uh, also uh, in the final fourth round in 2020. Played primarily right guard. So two offensive linemen there where we know Florida needs. Uh, Got to probably, you know, it, it, neither one of these guys, the instant impact, not going to come in and play right away for Florida. You don't see that along the offensive line much anyway in the SEC. Uh, so these guys will, for Billy Napier, come in right away, need to get developed, and we'll see, uh, you know, hopefully these guys contribute down the road. Yeah, I've been talking to Bill Sykes a little bit recently, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but but the idea that yeah, – he got a lot of offensive line stuff coming out. He easy. does. So the idea that offensive linemen have to sit on the bench for three years, I think Bill's going to throw some wrenches in, in that thought <laughs> process. But when, when I look at when I look at overall these two guys specifically, I sort of look at Williams as the sure thing depth piece. From the standpoint of his interior offensive lineman, you can envision a scenario where maybe he moves into center and can provide solid depth at somebody that Napier knows and has spent quite a bit of time scouting even when he was at Louisiana. And I look at Connor as more of the upside guy. And again, you look through his profile and the thing that jumps out to me is it says 2021 also plays basketball. Right. So you talk about foot speed, you talk about being able to stop the defensive lineman in the SEC off the edge and foot speed and being able to really sort of jam them before they're able to get going are, are some of the things that you look for in either a right or a left tackle. And you know, a lot of times you say we've talked about this before, really, over, over the past three or four years is when when you bring in a guy who's a three star tackle, oftentimes you can move him on the inside and then sort of mask some of the things that that were that will end up being uh, hindrances when they get to the sec level but when it comes to a guy like connor that's not really the reason that you bring a guy like that in you're bringing in a guy who's raw but athletic and so in in my mind i sort of see williams as the guy who's more level 
level set, you kind of know what you're getting. And Connor's the guy who's big upside. Um, and so, you know, we'll see. Maybe if Connor may end up being the guy who can start consistently in the SEC year two, year three of his career, I think Williams likely is probably going to have to, he's definitely going to stay inside, maybe moves to center position to really get playing time if he's going to get on the field uh, beyond just being a, a backup. All right. Last one, Will. No. no. We've got a special teams. Special teams is uh, you know, something that's been a, uh, hot, hot topic uh, this past year for the for, for the Gators and Gators get a kicker here uh, in Trey Smack coming. What a, what a name that is! You know, you get those uh, those preseason list of uh, best names in college football. This is probably going to be one of those uh, coming out in in, in a few years. Uh, right, and here's the thing. Now, this is you know on three consensus. That's what you're seeing here on the YouTube version. Uh, he is rated as a three star. So look, that is going to bring the ranking down a bit. On three takes the top seventeen. Uh, players for their consensus rankings for their class rankings and that's how they get it you know they, they they drop past 17 they drop those players florida doesn't have 17 right now so the lowest rated player for florida is a kicker right now that is of course going to bring the average down a bit uh for florida bring the ranking down a bit uh, as well but florida put this bio out and this is something we knew of when smack committed to florida there's kind of a special teams camp and you get rated differently there. Of course, you know, very rarely are you going to see a five-star four-star kicker in recruiting services. Well, it just doesn't really exist there. Uh, but Trey Smack ranked both a five-star rated kicker and punter by Cole's kicking camp named the number five kicker, number 15 punter in the class of 22 by Cole's kicking camp. He won the 2021 Cole spring showcase camp kickoff competition, and he's being trained by, former pro bowler and Super Bowl champion Matt Stover. So as we said, uh, Florida, you know, kind of went with a couple different kickers this past um, this past season, Will. Hopefully you got Trace Matt coming here right away and will contribute to Florida for three or four years. Yeah, you know, it, it, how quickly you forget what what a what a weapon a kicker can be, right? I mean, we had we had sort of the dearth of kickers before Eddie Pinheiro came yeah. in, and then he was getting chants in the swamp, and everybody loved him. And then you had Evan McPherson came in; he missed a couple of big kicks, but at the end of the day, was a really really consistent player at that position. And then this year, obviously, Florida lost a couple of games because of field goal kicking. When you think about the uh, the missed extra point against Alabama and the blocked field goal against Kentucky, those games might have gone the other way had we had the right specialist out there so having a guy like smack with his profile you know again it's not going to light up the recruiting boards having a guy like this but clearly special teams is an area that needs to be an area of emphasis and and napier being able to hold on to smack after he had already committed to mullen i think is a big deal the other thing is is that this really does set up perfectly now for decoldest crawford needs to really give florida consideration because DeColdis Crawford, Trace Mack, and Gage Wilcox, along with AR-15, will definitely be uh, leading the T-shirt sales next year for the NIL when it comes to all those guys on the field. Um, I saw somebody say the DeColdis should go play for Scott Frost. <laughs> <laughs> just because of the name connection there. So, like, That's oh, where he's listed. They, they, got, they got him listed as, as, as favoring Nebraska. But, yeah. Uh, so yeah. Imagine, imagine the play on names there from those two guys. <laughs> that's what you talk about when you got kickers you're evaluating because yeah, let's be true. honest you and i know nothing about kickers no we don't exactly absolutely nothing about kickers so um that's where we go though. you know florida sent out that uh bio there of the of trace mike so uh definitely good uh good option there for kicker 
for the University of Florida. So, all right, there you go. There's your nine signees for Florida uh, right now. Plenty of room to move up for the Gators. We'll see what they do in the next few weeks and when they call this class complete in February. But uh, what's next, Will? You know, we got plenty of time to get into this over the next six, seven weeks or so. But, look, Florida's got to get some skilled players in this class coming up. You know, they hit the trenches really hard here uh, on the offensive line, the defensive line, and in the secondary you know, Florida, we mentioned – I mentioned Trevor Etienne earlier uh, making somewhat of an announcement on Twitter tonight. Don't know what that means. Don't know what that means for a timeline. He's supposed to decide in February, but this early signing day is a kind of more of a period. You get three days, I think, from today to Friday to make a decision. So maybe you see somebody like that as well. But Trevante Citizen, another Louisiana running back. There's two four-star running backs Florida is heavily targeting. targeting. Billy Napier was visiting those guys over a week ago. Uh, when he went and visited Louisiana last week. So two running backs right there, I think, to keep an eye on. Uh, We'll see where Florida decides to go wide receiver way. I haven't heard many, many uh, names as far as that go right now, but you've got to get some skilled players uh, to finish out this class. Another big name to look out for, linebacker T.J. Dudley, four-star linebacker to to, to look out for for Florida there. Maybe a quarterback as well. Uh, You start looking at the portal too, Will, because we know that's going to be, I think, a pretty – substantial part of this class and look the way it is right now substantial part of college football yeah absolutely and you know you're allowed the ncaa passed a rule where if you've got guys transferring out you can bring them in up to seven guys from the transfer portal without necessarily um having to use an initial counter right you're given 25 initial counters every year you can use 100 over four, which is why you'll see teams that sign like 30 players one year. It's because they signed 20 the year before. And so they're able to sort of spread out those initial counters and count them back to different years and those sorts of things. Um, and and the transfer portal, the risk of the transfer portal is, is that you use an initial counter or you have in the past used an initial counter when you've brought somebody in, which is which means one less guy you're allowed to sign from the high school level. But now if you've got guys transferring out, right? So we'll talk about in a little bit Emory Jones, I'm sure, with Emory Jones transfer out well you know that's going to open up a spot and you don't have to use a counter to bring somebody in so you and and considering the way the transfer portal works now you can get guys with three or even four years of eligibility through the transfer portal whereas before you were getting a grad transfer where it was going to be a year or the guy was gonna have to sit out for a year so if he'd already played a year where he was and then he has to sit out for a year or if he'd already redshirted where he was and then he had to sit out for a year um, you know, you weren't necessarily getting more than one or two years out of that player. But now it'll almost be like you had a guy who was in your system and was maybe injured his first year, right? And then, hey, you still got three or four years of eligibility left. Same type of thing. So the numbers and the roster management and all that sort of stuff. So when Napier talks about process, I think this is one of the things we need to watch for is what kind of process does he have and does he favor certain guys in the transfer portal? Is he looking for a Band-Aid? You know, guys like, you know, Adam Schuler came in, was able to contribute for a couple of years. This year they had Truesdell and, and Valentino and Newkirk who were able to contribute a year. Um, what is the strategy going to be? Is it going to be to go after those guys who still have three years of eligibility left? Or is it going to be to go after guys that, that you're adding depth, right? So you think about Anthony Richardson, I think it's pretty clear that he's probably the front runner to be the starting quarterback next year. But if you're going to bring in a transfer quarterback, do you bring in somebody to compete with Richardson? Or do you bring in somebody who's sort of 
depth in case Richardson can't stay healthy because obviously that's the concern coming out of the 2021 season is is whether Richardson's going to be able to stay healthy for the long term. So it'll be interesting to see what Napier decides to do in terms of how he brings along who who he targets, who he brings in and uh, and and how they move forward. But obviously the transfer portal is having a big impact. I mean you had um you, know, you had uh South Carolina pick up yeah. his name's escaping me right now, but yeah, Spencer Rattler. You got Spencer Rattler committing to South Carolina, so the the stakes are starting to go up, right? I mean, a blue chip quarterback just went to the Gamecocks, and you know, so the SEC East got more difficult. Whether Rattler is is great or not is still to be determined, but he's got to be better than Zeb Nolan and some of the guys they had there at South Carolina, Luke Doty, and some of the other guys they had at South Carolina this year. So the arms race is starting even in the East. Um, and so Napier's going to have to take advantage of that with the transfer portal. And obviously, I think quarterback is going to be an area of emphasis when it comes to that because it doesn't look like, um, you know, they, they've got a few guys, right? I mean, they've got uh, Robbie Roper that they're sort of looking at out of Roswell, Georgia. Um, you know, and I, I know they sent the analyst O'Hara over there to talk to him or, or to, to, to meet with him the other day. But, uh, yep. you know, again, that's sort of th- – this is something that I, I really sort of thought of when Kyle Trask was – or I guess maybe I realized when Kyle Trask was able to come forward – for Felipe, for Felipe Franks is having a guy that you believe is a long-term development project, but has the profile of somebody who might be really good is actually a valuable thing because that person isn't going to be looking to transfer out. Whereas if you bring in two four-star quarterbacks, inevitably when one wins out over the other, the other one's going to leave. And so um, having a guy like Jalen Kitna, having a guy like Robbie Roper and potentially even bringing in depth through the transfer portal might be a useful thing to do. Again, it's, it's a question of roster management and relationships. And that was the other thing I think about Napier's um, press conference today that I thought was interesting is he basically said, we want to create a culture where people don't want to leave. And so, you know, the transfer portal is a reality and there's no real, you know, people are allowed to leave. And so you have to make it a situation where they don't want to leave. And, and uh, hopefully, hopefully that's what we're seeing is the starts of that being built. All right. Well, so what can help there, you know, build this class out. Billy Napier was asked about that, getting the staff in, of course, that's what we know can help uh, finish this class. Here's what Napier said when asked, quote, you can sell the academics, the athletics, the swamp being in the sec, but not having your full staff. Was that a hard sell? It's part of the transition. You know, there were certainly some battles in here, not having a position coach uh, or maybe having position coaches that will be here, but we can't uh, have dialogue about them. You know, I think that that's definitely was part of the challenge. But I think in the, we're playing the long game here. You know, I think that we're willing to deal with uh, the things that come with that. Uh, but I think that's a great point. And certainly it was a little bit of an issue at times. Uh, but some of these guys, I think, um, you know, they they trusted our staff. I think they obviously have got confidence in the vision and where we're headed. Well, I go back to your previous point that you made earlier in the show. Like, you know, I think that shows a lot of trust in Billy Napier as well. Uh, the, the, the staff members, the defense, the co-defensive coordinator he has, Antonio on staff, and maybe not your position coach, but. And we were at, you were able to see the vision. <laughs> Look, we talked about being able to sell recruiters recruit. How many times have we said that over the last few few years uh, when looking at recruiting? And look, you know that you were able to do it and somewhat and get a whole lot of targets there. And it had to be difficult. Well, you're going around the southeast, and look, you've been. I know a hot button topic the last week or so was getting people to you know send in workout tapes, but or in workout videos. Look, I think there's two side to that who really wants to be a gator are you going to take the time to do it and second of all look he has to learn about these prospects 
he's not recruiting the same style of athlete while he's the head coach of Louisiana that he's got, that he's recruiting as the head coach of Florida. He has to learn so many targets, so many recruits, so many um, you know targets that are out there that he can now bring into the fold of Florida. He's not expected to know his staff, limited staff, is not expected to know every little recruit that's out there because he's for the last four years was worried about recruiting at Louisiana. Now in just 10 days time has to worry about recruiting for the university of Florida. So yeah, there's some research that goes into it. You still rely on some of the current Florida staff members left over from the previous staff. uh, But there's a lot of research done. So this whole asking for a workout and maybe trying to get somebody to know somebody just a little bit better. I mean, I I think it's, uh, I think it was a, a pretty good move there. And if somebody didn't want to take the time to do it, okay, move on. Uh, and I think the limited staff that, you know, it played a role in, in, in these, you know, the nine the only quote unquote nine signees uh, with all the transition that's going on, especially with the small staff. They didn't watch one of those videos. I mean, maybe, maybe right. a staffer watched the video, but I don't yeah. think they watched the video. I think that was a that's, test. That's, why, right? that's I mean, why I labeled a test first. I think it was yeah. more about uh, who wants to really be a Gator. Well, look, here's the deal, right? And and this is actually where I think Napier might be able to differentiate himself over some of these other guys who've who've come in and 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 recruited. And it's not going to show up in the recruiting rankings, which is weird for somebody like me to say. But you look at the 2018 class for Mullen, you Jacob Copeland, Richard Garage, Emory Jones, Justin Watkins, and Kyle Pitts were the first five, right? And Watkins obviously was dismissed and never played. But Pitts is a starter who's elite, and then you got Copeland, Garage, and Jones who were starters and non-elite. Then you got Amari Bernie and Trey Dean who were both starters, but I wouldn't say that either of those were really elite. Damian Pierce was a rotation back, and then from there on, it's basically backups or never played, um, other than Noah Banks who was a starter for for a little while before he was injured. But basically everybody else, other than Evan McPherson, the quarterback or the the kicker, um, pretty much never played. And so if you want to think about where you might be able to differentiate, if you're a guy like Billy Napier. Now that he's gotten guys like Wilson and and guys like um, you know Shamar James and like Chris McClellan, adding and making sure that the guys like Andrew Chatfield, Malik Langham, and Iverson Clement from that 2018 class, that the guys they bring in at that level are committed to the program, are going to be here for an extended period of time, and are good people who are going to contribute positively to the program can be sort of the, the, the focus moving forward. So I don't know that you're going to bring in a bunch of blue chip guys come between now and February. To be honest, there aren't a lot of blue chip guys left over who haven't signed. Obviously, we already mentioned Etienne, and we already mentioned uh armella as well and you know we'll see what kind of news we hear about them the next day or so but there aren't going to be a bunch of four-star top 100 guys who are left over we've done that part of the work but when it comes to evaluating and it comes to saying okay i've got a guy who's an offensive lineman who's ranked 700th i mean a lot of the stuff that we've done a lot of stuff we've looked at says that a guy ranked 700 is just as likely to be drafted in the nfl as a guy ranked 300 it's really a question of evaluation and a question of development and so are you getting the right people into the program to do that who buy into everything that you're doing and that's a big part of it so if you're going to have all that attrition anyway then you don't want to waste counters on guys who likely are going to leave the program you'd rather just not have them ever come in and like i said with the transfer portal those counters are really valuable and so being able to 
apply those counters to the transfer portal now in a way that you couldn't quite honestly for Dan Mullen in 2018. Obviously he brought in Trevon Grimes and he brought in Van Jefferson and, and Adam Schuler through the transfer portal, but that was sort of the beginning of the transfer portal. I mean, Florida could bring in seven guys to the transfer portal if they wanted to. And if they got seven guys transfer out, it doesn't hurt them from a counter perspective. So um, I think there's, a, I think the roster management here and what he's going to do and his evaluation, having guys who want to be Gators who are willing to wait their turn, um, is going to be important with some of these guys that they add from high school between now and National Signing Day just because you don't want the attrition that you normally get with one of these classes. It's not about necessarily, especially because of the transfer portal, it's not about just piling up a bunch of three stars and say, and saying, okay, to, to raise up the score artificially. It's, you know, deal with the score that you have, but then make sure that you're using those counters wisely so that you're able to put put the best team on the field, not just this next year, but two and three years from now as well. All right, well, we got to, you know, just for sake of time, uh, here we, we went over normally. So let's get into the hot news of the day uh, right now before we do sign off here on this episode of Gators Breakdown. Uh, big news, not as a surprise. We've talked about it on the Gators Breakdown Plus Discord for the last couple of weeks now. Uh, but Emory Jones, Emory Jones, quarterback Emory Jones, transferring, uh, will be transferring from the University of Florida. Uh, Pete Thamel of Yahoo says Jones plans to play in the Florida Bowl game. I've been told to watch out for that as well. Uh, maybe he will not play. Uh, nothing set in stone there, uh, but may or may not play in Florida's bowl game. I think he will, uh, but we'll go. We'll, we'll see uh, what what ends up happening there. But plans to play in Florida's bowl game on the twenty third. He's willing to go anywhere in the country and is looking for a quote place that develops me and prepares me for the next level. Well, I think this was, you know, pretty much writing on the wall here. It was not going well for Emory Jones at the University of Florida. Uh, we saw his mom, you know, I think it was on social media or whatever, talking about the treatment that she's been getting uh, from fans in the stands, and you're hard to go to games uh, when, you, when you go back and look at that. So uh, Emory Jones, a lot of friends on the team, just didn't work out. Will, I know we all had high hopes coming into this season for Emory Jones and the, and the style of offense that, you know, Dan Muller could bring to the table. Uh, with Emory Jones, but it just did not work out. Too many turnovers, um, not enough big plays there from Emory Jones. Uh, sad to see, as we said, you know, we, we, he was part of the last transition class Florida went through in 2018. Uh, when it's all said and done, uh, we may have already seen him play his last game at Florida, but if not, we'll see him play his last game as a Gator next week. Because Anthony Richardson, of course, uh, will be, be trying to bounce back from a knee surgery uh, with his meniscus there. So it looks like the Emory Jones show next week. And if not, you'll be relying on Jalen Kitten and Carlos Del Rio uh, next week against uh, UCF and the Gasparilla Bowl. Uh, but for now, Pete Thamel reporting, and I pretty much can confirm it as well, Emory Jones will be transferring from the University of Florida. Yeah, I mean, I think, look, I, I think Emory Jones obviously waited his turn. And I think there were times where he played very well, especially this year. I think there were obviously turnover problems, which was one of the major issues. And then certainly once the first turnover came, it seemed like things sort of went downhill from there. But, you know, it's a, it's on everybody, right? I mean, the wide receivers weren't necessarily getting open all the time. Um, but he was late getting out the ball, and that was one of the things that really just sort of ate at the team all year long. So, But you can separate or at least I think it's worth taking the time to separate the performance on the field, which was, you know, average. I don't think it was fantastic, but it wasn't terrible, but average performance on the field, especially coming in after Kyle Trask, that would just felt like a, you know, a real market change. And then the person. And so always taking the time to sign autographs after the, after the games, 
always supporting Anthony Richardson, even when Anthony Richardson was certainly getting more publicity from people like us and, and nationally as well. And, you know, that first game or second game where, where your job is in jeopardy and still supporting him. Um, and likewise for, for Anthony Richardson supporting Emory Jones as well. And the only reason that happens is because Emory Jones is a nice person and he and Anthony Richardson have built a relationship where they can be competitors. They can both want the same thing, but at the end of the day, they're able to, to separate sort of the personal stuff off the field from the competitive stuff on the field. And so, uh, you know, Hey, I wish the best of luck to him wherever he ends up. I hope he ends up at a non SEC school. Cool. Um, just, just that Florida doesn't have to play him, but, uh, at the same time, you know, Hey, sometimes things don't work out. And, and he gave us all to Florida for, for three or four years and gave us all to coming in, in that transition class and helping, you know, the reality is, is a lot of the players that are on the field now are on the field because Emory Jones sort of led the way and bought into what Dan Mullen was selling. Now, obviously we would have liked to have seen it end in a little bit different way, but you know, each sort of step, each step this program has taken has been in, especially since the McIlwain era ended, has been in the right direction. And one of the things I think I said when when Mullen was was let go here on Gators Breakdown was the program is in a better place now than it was when Dan Mullen took over back in late 2017. And so Napier comes in. He again he thanked he thanked the previous administration today during the press conference. And Emory Jones is a big part of that. And so. Um, you know, I, I think we thank him and, and appreciate that we got to watch him and, and look at his film and, and pick it apart and, and, and criticize, but also somebody who represented the university well and, and really represented what it means to be a Gator. And so, um, you know, once a Gator, always a Gator, we're always going to root for him and, and hopefully he finds success at the next stop along the way. And, uh, you know, if, if we meet up with him in the future, we'll obviously be rooting against him. But any, any other time he's playing somebody, we'll, we'll obviously be rooting for him out there. Uh, well, last bit of news here, Kerry Colbert. We talked about uh, staff. Uh, well, Florida made a staff announcement today that, of course, got buried under everything uh, that um, um, was happening uh, with signing day. Sorry, I got people sending me stuff left and right right now. So I was just try- <laughs> trying to keep up with everything at the same time. But Kerry Colbert uh, announced as assistant coach wide receivers. Colbert arrives at the Swamp after spending the last six seasons at his alma mater, USC. Now, I had heard his name uh, early on in the process. I did not hear it for the last, um, you know, I guess, week and a half, couple weeks or so. Uh, so, you know, it comes back, comes back around for him to be the University of Florida uh, wide receiver coach under Billy Napier. Uh, he was at USC in the roles of offensive analyst in 2016-2017, tight ends 2018, and wide receivers coach in 2019 through 2021. He coached five NFL draft picks on the offensive side of the ball, including Sam Darnold, Juju Smith-Schuster, Ronald Jones, and Michael Pittman Jr. He developed Pittman Jr. into finishing top 20 nationally in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns while being a finalist for the Bolitnikoff and Witten Awards in 2019. He worked with Napier from 2014 to 2015 as an offensive analyst at Alabama, where the Tide won a national championship in 2015, and when it combined 26-3. and So Alabama background there. Uh, Prior to his stint with Bama, he was a wide receivers coach at Georgia State in 2013 and worked with current Miami Dolphins wide receiver Albert Wilson to a 1,000-yard pass catcher that year. Colbert arrived at Georgia State after serving as a volunteer coach in 2012 at Pace Academy in Atlanta. He was also a four-year starter at wide receiver at USC. So, Will, uh, one more connection to the Alabama analyst role there. 
2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, 2015, yeah, man. One day at a time, one person at a time, right? That seems to be the uh, seems to be the mantra, and seems to be the way things actually work out when it, when it comes to Napier. Obviously, the connection to Napier, I think, is a is a significant theme that runs through the building of the staff is that he's not bringing in people who have big reputations that he doesn't know. Um, he seems to know these people, even Corey Raymond, I guarantee you he's met that guy when he's been recruiting at Louisiana. Um, yeah. You know, even though Raymond's been at LSU, the fact that they're so close there in proximity, I guarantee you means that he's been able to come across and probably talk ball at a bar over a beer or something with Corey Raymond over time. Um, and, and so that, you know, the, the, the thanking of everybody when everything started, the 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 genuineness, the talking about people and all that sort of stuff. You know, nobody at Louisiana had anything bad to say about Billy Napier. And I keep sort of waiting at some point for the shoe to drop because nobody can be this good a human being. And I'm sure he's got flaws. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the fact that he's bringing in these people that he knows. But also now this is somebody who, you know, I don't want Florida to be recruiting on the West Coast a ton. But it doesn't hurt to have a guy with some West Coast ties every once in a while in case there's somebody you want to go get. Um, and, and so Colbert's going to have that. But like you said, you had a list of those guys who have been wide receivers there at USC who've made it in the NFL, who've had his sort of tutelage and, and uh, bringing those guys into SC, but then also getting them into pros and developing them into pros, I think, is, is a pretty good resume, especially considering that USC hasn't really been that great when yeah. it comes to their overall record. But when you look at the NFL draft picks, um, you know, the, the, the wide receivers who have been making it um, in, in the last couple of years, there's a pretty significant number of guys. You mentioned Schuster or Smith Schuster, you mentioned Pittman and then Amon Ross St. Brown as well. Last year went to the lions in the fourth round. So, um, you know, I, I think there's some, there's some guys you can lean back on and say, this is what I can do. If you come here, this is the kind of development you're going to get. And uh, certainly the fact that he knows Napier and understands the process and understands the way Nick Saban does things as well, I think sort of probably plays into this too. All right, there we go. Uh, I know earlier we said uh, Julian Armello would make his decision at uh, 9.45, but he pushed it to 10 o'clock, and I don't think we're just going to babble here for 10 minutes to kind of figure out what's going on, Will. So, we're all hitting uh, refresh anyway. We're sitting here hitting yeah, refresh. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so. If you're listening to this episode, of course, uh, not live, uh, you'll you'll know the answer by, by now. But uh, if everybody watching live here, great numbers. Hey, hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button if you're not already subscribed to Gators Breakdown. Big time, big exciting time. We'll get to do this again in February. Uh, but everybody, thanks for the support. I know a lot, uh, a lot of busy. Well, it's been crazy busy the last couple of weeks with all the coaching changes and and, and following uh, recruiting and and now getting this signing day. But man, it's just uh, it's so fun to get to do this uh, and, and put it out there for everybody. Yeah, man. Like I said, Billy Napier has given us some Christmas gifts today. He's thanked everybody and his uncle for what they've done, but we need to thank Billy Napier for giving us some hope in terms of where the program's going and where it's headed. And, 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 you know, and, and if you're listening, if you're listening and not watching on YouTube, by the way, Will talks about hope. You should everybody. Will's wearing a Christmas hat right now. That's how Billy Napier. That's how excited he is about uh, Billy Napier giving him some hope and on, 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 giving us some hope on the recruiting trail. 
It's been a long time, man. It's been been a long time. You, you look at last year's recruiting class, and there were there were three top 100 guys in the 2021 recruiting class, and there are now three top 100 guys in the 2022 recruiting class. So the transition class from a top end talent perspective that Napier is bringing in is is better than the or at least is equivalent to the talent level of the last class that Dan Mullen brought in at the top end. And and I think there's evidence to suggest that the top end is is more important than um than anything else really that you know one of the things Jimbo Fisher I'm scared of that class he brought in he's got like Ooh. 10 or 11 top top 100 guys and and uh, so A&M's going A&M is definitely making a push now they'll probably go 8 and 4 again and have a bunch of excuses for it but at the same time um you know they they're they're definitely they have invested in the coach and the infrastructure and all that sort of stuff and you know it's taken Jimbo a little while, but he's now getting to a point where he's pretty equivalent in talent to those big boys. And, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, cause Napier is sort of promising the same thing. And at least the early returns are that, uh, that he may be able to do the exact same thing. Yeah. Some people have to give Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Texas A&M, hopefully now with the Florida into the mix and that big boy recruiting. I mean, well, you know, look, it's, Probably tough to ask to be Alabama and Georgia, you know, that one, two every year. Now, Texas A&M, you know, they're finally probably going to put a stop to that this cycle. You know, they're going to be one of those top two teams uh, in the SEC when it comes to recruiting. But you know, you're going to have to be up there in that conversation, you know, every other year, once every three years, while not falling below that, you're probably fifth, seventh range. Well, and, and it's so – it's not just that they're all sitting there one, two, three. It's that when you look at AM, um, and I'll do 24 7 because I have it here, but yeah. so AM has players who are ranked 94.18 is their overall ranking. Alabama's 95.17, Georgia's 92.93, Ohio State's 94.04, and then fifth is Texas, 90.37. There are tiers, <laughs> and so <laughs> there is a clear top tier here, one through four this year in 2022, and I think that's going to continue. And the question, you know, again, I, I think top three classes are going to be necessary to win the SEC and win the national championship compete on a regular basis, but I think the actual real question is, hey, Billy Napier, can you get Florida into that top tier? And Texas yeah. is going to learn real quick that fifth means something, but not when you're in that second tier and not when you're Steve Sarkeesian. So, you know, Texas and Oklahoma are going to, I think there's going to be some learning curves here when they get into the SEC based on where these other teams are sitting. And if Florida can be one of those teams next year and the year after and the year after that and be prepared for when Texas and Oklahoma come in, you know, I can envision a scenario where Texas and Oklahoma at least initially look more like Old Miss and Mississippi State as opposed to Texas, <laughs> Texas and Oklahoma, because they're not going to have Kansas State and Iowa State and and uh, Nebraska. I guess used to be Nebraska to run over. It's going to be uh, you know Georgia, Alabama, A and M, and Florida on somebody's schedule, and whoo, like that's that's going to be an interesting one. So, hey man, the the arms race is heating up, and Florida is now finally arming itself. And, you know, we'll see whether it's enough and we'll see whether this is sort of a flash in the pan or whether Napier can sustain this. But at least there's hope that Florida is being able to arm itself and, and it's going to be fun to watch. All right. That is Will Miles. You can find him at readreaction.com on YouTube, Will, uh, at um, Read Reaction. Will, what you got? You got anything coming up uh, looking back at signing day? I mean, oh, yeah. I'm a bit. If, if, if nobody does, if nobody has yet, you're 
last week article on the importance or lack of importance of transition classes uh, and, and what it means uh, for, for, for recruiting in the grand scheme of things. That was a really, really good read, by the way. So uh, it gives you a lot of perspective on you know, what to look for in this class, and maybe what not to look for. Yeah, so that's the first thing you should probably read. And then I'm going to completely throw that out the window tonight and sit down and, and pump out something that's just pure sunshine and rainbows. Because like you said, I'm wearing a Christmas hat. Um, I'm excited. Look, I'm a Florida fan, right? And so yes. one of the yes. things that's really sucked the last few years is sitting there and knowing. I mean, I wrote articles back in 2018 to the point where Florida fans told me to shut up because I was sitting there going, I don't think this is good enough to compete. Like, it's just not. And we're going to struggle at some point along the way. And Bill Sykes was echoing it, and you were too a little bit. And, and you know, we're sitting there looking at it going, we hope it changes, but past evidence suggests that it's not going to. And, and so now we have a whole new blank slate that we get to evaluate. So it's a lot of fun um, from our perspective, but also I, I know from a fan's perspective to look at it and say, what are the markers? What are the things we should be looking for? So, yeah, I'll be up late tonight putting up something on early signing day so everybody can read that tomorrow and then uh, – and, and then Nick and I, I'm sure, will be addressing a lot of the different staffing hires and stuff like that on an episode of Stand Up and Holler coming up this weekend. All right, Will Miles, follow him at Read Reaction on his website, readreaction.com, and on YouTube at Read Reaction as well. Follow him on Twitter at Will Miles SEC. I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. Got the bills out there. Thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown. <laughs>